Welcome back to another season of One Decision Podcast. I'm Julia McFarlane and I am really excited to be co-hosting today's episode with the former chief of MI6, Britain's secret intelligence service, Sir Richard Dearlove. Hello, Sir Richard. How are you? Hello, Julia. Very nice to be with you on the podcast. Likewise, likewise. I have to say it isn't actually the first time that we've spoken. Uh, Quite a few years ago when I was a fledgling producer at the BBC World Service, I actually interviewed you for a radio programme. I don't know if you remember this, Um, but to find myself many years later as a co-host alongside you is quite an amazing turn of events. Well, I I won't immediately say I remember the event. I've done so many events like that, but I'm sure if I dig back in my memory, it'll come to me. (laughs) Here at One Decision, we speak to people around the world at the centre of foreign policy. People who make it, people affected by it, people who seek to influence it. In our ever-changing world, we often find we're increasingly impacted by choices that are made, sometimes even on the opposite side of the globe. And so on this programme, we seek to understand the complicated and interconnected world around us by talking to those who seek to shape it. And sometimes those people may not necessarily be who you'd expect. You might not think that, for example, a professional sports star is worth hearing on international politics, but you would be wrong on that score. Just because of you want another contract or you want more endorsement deals or you want not just from, you know, like you have to stay silent when it comes to China. This is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than NBA. When people tell me that, listen, man, focus on basketball, stop doing politics. I never do politics. There's a difference between politics and human rights. Enes Kanter is not your average 29-year-old. An emigre originally from Turkey, he was drafted as a teenager by the NBA. He played for the Knicks and is now a Boston Celtics player. He became a naturalised US citizen last December and changed his name as part of the process to freedom. Enna's freedom's journey to becoming an American has had one defining aspect that has marked him out from every other professional basketball player in the NBA and from pretty much every professional sportsman on the global scene. His ferocious criticism of China's human rights record. Xinjiang is China's biggest province. It borders Mongolia to the east, Kazakhstan to the north, and Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan and Pakistan to the west. Its inhabitants are predominantly Turkish Muslims, also known as Uyghurs. The Chinese government has been widely accused by Western nations of carrying out systematic ethnic cleansing of the minorities in Xinjiang. And last year, the Trump administration accused it of cultural genocide. Beijing denies this and says reports of concentration camps where activists and former detainees have told chilling stories of rape, torture, forced labour and sterilisation actually refer to re-education camps carrying out a programme of de-radicalisation. Many Uyghurs who are Muslim are perceived by Beijing to pose a national security threat to the nation. There's a growing number of US and international companies who are finding themselves at the centre of this growing row between Western and Chinese consumers and the issue of slave labour in China. And none more so than Nike, the biggest sportswear company in the world. Now, Enes, I want to talk to you about Nike because you've been incredibly vocal about this company. You've accused them of hypocrisy and of staying silent about human rights violations in China. 
And a year ago, the US government released a report into the situation in Xinjiang and accused Beijing of crimes against humanity. They accused them of crimes that constituted genocide against its Uyghur population. And Nike was getting quite a lot of heat uh, last year. And, and they released a statement saying that they were committed to ethical and responsible manufacturing uh, and we uphold international labor standards. We are concerned about reports of forced labor in and connected to Xinjiang. Nike does not source products from the Xinjiang region and we have confirmed with our suppliers that they are not using textiles or spun yarn from that region. And is, do you accept or believe that statement? Uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows that it's, it's all a lie. And, uh, you know, you talk about Nike, you know, obviously it's the NBA's biggest uh, sponsor. And you, when you look at Nike, you know, in America, you know, they stand up for Black Lives Matter, Latino community, you know, Asian hate, LGBTQ community. But when it comes to China, they remain in silence because they are the one paying the bills. There's so much business involved and so much, uh, you know, money is involved and stuff. Uh, I don't believe it, no. Whatever they're, they're saying, I do not believe that. And yes, modern day slavery is exist and is done by uh, Nike. And um, they're the biggest hypocrite. And I even like say this to in many of my interviews, every time you buy the shoes, you buy that t-shirt, you know, there's so much blood and sweat and oppression on those items, so think twice. What would Nike have to do um, in order to convince you that they have uh, guaranteed that they are not uh, involved in, in the oppression in Xinjiang, that they are not involved in slave labor? I think, you know, the, the, I think the right thing to do, first of all, I mean, it's a step by step. I know they're not going to shut down all their store, everything in China. It's a, it's a huge business and I understand it. And there's so much money involved. But I think, you know, they, they should definitely shut down all the uh, sweatshops because the, the conditions in, in there, I mean, I mean, it's a very easy access, obviously. If you go on, you know, on the YouTube or if you go on, you know, this read reports out there, there's so much reports or articles out there to show what kind of conditions are the, uh, the kids are having over there, their, their, their parents. So I feel like, yes, the first step should be the definitely shut down those uh, sweatshops. Okay. You, in an Instagram post last November, you challenged the, uh, the founder of Nike, Phil Knight. Uh, you said, how, are, how about I book plane tickets for the both of us uh, to go to China? Let's fly to China together. Let's visit these slave labor camps. And you can see it with your own eyes. And you also tagged LeBron James and yep. Michael Jordan in that post. And you said, hey, guys, you should come along too. Uh, was there any response to that post? Have you heard from Nike, from their management or from LeBron? Or Michael Jordan? No, no, no. And obviously, I was not really expecting any kind of answer from them because it's just obviously when when these people, these players, these athletes, these companies, they just call themselves as social justice warriors or organizations or companies. But when it comes to China, they remain silent. And I just wanted to put all the all their hypocrisy out there to show people what they are all, all about, you know. And uh, I wish we could go. I wish we could go and show the whole world and show them the company you, you signed with. You know, you're making millions of dollars. What kind of, you know, act that they're in, you know. So I wish that there is a such thing, but I don't think there, I, I wasn't thinking, I, I, don't, I didn't think they were gonna answer it anyway, so. 
Would would you go to China if the Chinese government extended an invitation <laughs> to you? I mean, if if I could stay, if if they promised me to like that, I'll, I'll be safe. Uh, for sure, yes, I would love to go there and show the whole world that what kind of you know what people are going through in concentration camps, sweatshops, what Tibetans are going through, what Hong Kongers are going through. Of course, yes, I would love to. Okay, um, what about uh, teammates of mm-hmm. uh, of LeBron or Michael Jordan? I mean, you've had quite uh, yeah. quite public beef with LeBron James, um, given his association with with Nike. You've said, I think, you said uh, on. On uh, on Fox News, you said that apparently a teammate of LeBron told yep. you to keep speaking up. Yep. Uh, he said, "Keep doing what you're doing. Don't stop." I remember when the Lakers came to Boston to play, played against us. I was in a free throw line uh, with one of their players. I, I don't think I should give his name because obviously he still plays for them and he is my friend. And the thing that he told me just blew my mind. He said, "Listen." I have, he said he has so much things to say, but just because of these teams got us, just because of you want another contract or you want more endorsement deals or you want not just from you know Nike or for like any other companies, you have to stay silent when it comes to China, because obviously China uses money to buy silence, and I think if you're staying silent, you're part of a problem. But this player told me that. Just keep speaking the truth. I am with you. We can. I cannot say it out loud, but we are. We are with you. Trust me. And that gave me did, so much hope, actually. Did he? Uh, did he say that anyone had told him to be quiet, or did he? Uh, did he give you any indication that there were lots of other players who felt the same way? We we actually had a had a conversation while we are on the court, so we didn't have like a long conversation. But the thing mm-hmm. he told me is that these teams got us. Means, obviously, if you say if you say anything that the piss NBA or this team, then your next contract will be very questionable. So that's what he mm-hmm. tried to say. But I was just like, I mean, I, I just. I just didn't want to say that, like, listen, man, this is bigger than your next contract. This is bigger than, you know, the, the, all the endorsement deals you, you, you're going to get because there are so many lives that are involved. So I was like, but I, could, I, I just couldn't say. Has, uh, has anyone told you or hinted to you that you should maybe dial it down a bit or maybe oh. you should be careful what you say or has anyone said, look, this is going to negatively impact your career? I remember first time, uh, first game, it was uh, back in end of uh, November. Uh, our first regular season game was against New York Knicks and Madison Square Garden. I remember I went out there with my free Tibet shoes, right? And mm-hmm. uh, right be- before the game, there was two gentlemen from the NBA, which NBA said it is not true, but I just don't want to give their name because they're my friends. And the, the second I give their name, they'll, they'll get fired. Anyway, and many of my teammates uh, know, knows that actually. Uh, two gentlemen from the NBA came to me and said, we are begging you, please take those shoes off. And I asked them straight. I was like, listen, is there any kind of rule that I cannot wear those shoes? He said, no. But then I, then I told them, I was like, I don't care if I get fined, I'm not taking my shoes off. And they said, listen, we are not talking about a fine. We're talking about getting banned. So I was like, it was, a, it was a really good moment for me because I was just getting ready for my citizenship test and I was working on the amendments. 
right? 27 amendments on my first amendment freedom of speech. I, I told mm. him, like, listen, you cannot take my, my, my first amendment from me. Go tell your boss, I'm not taking my uh, shoes off. You know, I don't care if I get banned or if I get, you know, a fine. And they left. They actually came to me and said, sorry, and apologize at a halftime. And I looked at my phone in a halftime, actually. Uh, there was my manager texted me and said, all Celtics games are banned in China. I was like, wow. It literally took the 24 minutes, first quarter, second quarter, 24 minutes to ban every Celtics game in China. And I was like, that shows one more time with dictatorship in China. I, how have your teammates mm -hmm. reacted to your activism? I mean, do you, have you felt, have, have any athletes, you know, I'm, you, you must have a, have a ton of friends uh, in basketball and uh, in the NBA. Has anyone tr treated you a little differently? Have people changed in the way they speak to you? Has anyone sort of given you the cold shoulder or is avoiding you a bit more? I think, you know, my teammates are my biggest motivation and they just want to understand like what's going on, you know? Mm. Obviously, uh, when I talk about the, you know, the problems that are happening in Xinjiang to Uyghur people or Hong Kong or Taiwan or, you know, just uh, Tibetan people, they, they want to know what's going on. And once I uh, tell them there's a genocide happening in Xinjiang, there's a cultural genocide happening towards, you know, uh, Tibetan people, what Taiwan is going through, what Hong Kong is going through. And they're like, you know, just we will pray for you. And um, I think, you know, one thing they want me to understand is, um, you know, there are problems that are happening in China and Turkey and not just but all over the world. And you just become an American citizen. There are problems that are happening in America too. So teach yourself about the things that are happening in America. They, that's the only thing they want me to understand and learn. Is that their way of saying that you should spend more time worrying about problems that America has domestically rather than um, issues that are outside US borders? No, they just want me to know that, you know, there are problems that are happening, not just outside of, you know, not just in like or overseas, but there are problems that are happening in America too. So we just right. Just but you, but you, just but you say they offered you, they offered you their prayers. Is that enough? I mean, is it a bit disheartening that they that after you told them about what's happening in Xinjiang, mm -hmm. that you explained the situation that it's genocide? Um, I mean, there are also there are lots of uh, problems. There's all there's racial injustices, inequality. Sure. There's a lot of things that are happening in our own countries in the West. But the, but this is the United States government saying that there is genocide in China. Sure. How does it make you feel that more of your teammates aren't joining you in solidarity? That they aren't speaking out? I mean, once I started this road, I knew it was going to be a very long road, and I knew that not many people, not just my teammates, but like you know the league. Uh, the front office or whoever, they are going to say that we support you, but obviously they cannot say it out loud, you know? And um, I think that's the one thing that really kind of broke my heart when NBA two years ago, you know, when Black Lives Matter were happening, when we were in NBA uh, bubble, I was very happy that I was like, NBA is finally standing up for something bigger than basketball. 
right? And Adam Silver, the commissioner, was the one going around and saying, we are encouraging our players to go out there and say whatever they want to say, however they feel like saying, you know? Mm. And I was like, okay, you know, you are the one that gave me this confidence, gave me that, encouraged me to talk about it. Now I'm talking about problems that happen over there in China. You are not saying that you're against me, but like, do you support me really? Have you ever spoken to Adam Silver directly? I did. Yes, I had a conversation with him uh, almost uh, 30 minutes. And because I, I remember first time this were happening. Uh, so there is MBA and there is MBPA. MBPA is a play association, right? So first time that I wore those shoes, MBPA, the play association, were calling me and calling my ma manager every day. And they were begging us and saying, please take those shoes off. NBA is put a lot of pressure on us. And I was like, listen, uh, listen, you're supposed to work for the players. You're supposed to work for me, but you are not doing your job. From now on, do not call me. Do not bother me. I'm going to talk to your boss. And I was just so sick of them, you know, pressuring me and putting a lot of stress on me because I, I, told, I even told them, I'm like, am I breaking any rules? Am yeah. I breaking any kind of like... Am I going to against any kind of like rules in, in NBA? They said no. Then I'm like, then why are you like putting all this pressure on me to take my shoes off? You know? And they said, obviously, there's so much money involved. I'm like, I don't care. This is my right and I'm going to do it. And I was like, from now on, do not call me or text me. I'm going to talk to your boss. And when I had a conversation with Adam Silver, I, I, told, I asked Adam, I was like, Adam, you know, am I breaking any rules? He said no. I was like, okay, then I will continue to wear my shoes. So, so how did how did you leave that conversation with him? Did he, I mean, did he sympathize with uh, with with your cause, or did he at all just warn you to to be careful with what you were doing? You know, he didn't warn me or anything like that. He obviously, to my face, he said he support he supports me. Obviously, that's he has to say that because he's been going around till you know since he took the uh, commissioner job. That's the one thing that he was saying. We are, you know, supporting everyone every player, whatever they want to talk about, we are supporting every player. So they cannot say that they don't support me, but I don't feel like they do. You know, then when all this were happening and there was so much um, news out there, well, I, I haven't, I did not see one, any kind of you know statement from the NBA, from the commissioner, from anyone from the NBA office. So I'm asking myself to, do they really support you? So. What would you like him to do? Did you ask him to do anything? I feel like NBA should stop working with hypocrite company, companies like Nike, number one, you know? And when there is a problem happening like that, put a statement out there and have your, you know, uh, players back because I gave everything to, to this league. I've been playing in the league for almost, you know, uh, this is my 11th year. So I think that's the one thing that uh, they could have done. We are literally wearing a jersey every night where there is, uh, where they made in slavery, uh, sweatshops. That should be definitely unacceptable. But, but what do you think the NBA should do? Do you think, 
do you think they should boycott China or do you think they should put certain demands on China or do you think the NBA should sever ties with companies like Nike who in in your opinion have not yet proven that they have nothing to do with slave trade slave I think I think uh, for sure, I think for sure just because the NBA is a huge market they should definitely uh, boycott a companies has anything to do with uh, sweatshops and and the other thing is where I feel like it, if there is a country where there is a genocide happening and where American government said it, there is a, a genocide, it, it is a fact, then I feel like NBA definitely should uh, think twice to work with a country like China. So, what do you mean by think twice, though? Do you think they should cease operations? In I don't want, I don't China? Would you go as far as saying I don't that? Want to cease, uh, I don't want to say separation because obviously there are billions of uh, dollars in but when, if you look at M- uh, what MB is doing M- uh, with other uh, countries, you know, obviously there are uh, other markets around the world, you know, that I, I know I understand that not as big as uh, China, but, you know, they could be focusing on some other things than, you know, just uh, working with uh, China. Do you feel like you will always be a lonely voice speaking out against this particular issue, given that China is such a such a big player uh, in in the basketball scene financially, and and there's such a big incentive for people not to say anything? Do you think people will any players will join you, and more will start speaking out? No, that's that easy and that simple. I don't think so. Um, I think. They saw the pressure that I got from the league, uh, from the player association, from media, everything. And when China just banned every Celtics game uh, over there, and I don't think I don't I don't see any player in our you know, time right now will just go out there and say anything about the comments of that party. So, because the consequences will be huge uh, uh, for them, you know, um, I they, I feel like they just need to uh, do the right thing because this is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than NBA. You know, I'm like people are keep asking me like, dude, like you're crazy. You know, there are so much money involved. You're gonna lose all your deals and this and that. But I'm like, listen, man. You know, if your mom, if your sister, if your daughter was in that concentration camp to get a torture and rape every day. Would you still think about your next contract? Would you still think about your endorsement deals? So I don't really see any player right now uh, speaking uh, And And how about your situation, your contracts, your endorsement deals? Uh, I mean, what what's the situation with, with your sponsors? Has, has all your campaigning impacted you at all on that side of things? I mean, I have, I've never signed with any kind of deals with Nike since I've played in NBA. Or any other uh, country, any other uh, companies, you know. But I mean, there are many people around the league now telling me that, listen, dude, if you don't start, if you don't stop speaking out against China, you might not be in the league uh, next year. They're just not uh, telling me that. But I'm like, listen, man, this is bigger than basketball. This is bigger than NBA. I have to do this for innocent people over there, you know, because. Because someone had to do it. You see, not just, we keep talking about athletes, but not just athletes. You see actors, you know, singers, rappers, John Cena, whoever. You know, I don't want to give any uh, lot of names, but they're just speechless. They can't say anything. 
who uh, who can I know you don't want to name names, but you say people have said you know that you're not going to be in the league next year. Is is that is that a voice coming from your com, coming from your team or coming from your management or the the players that I play with before? Right. And and what about the what about your team? What have the, have the Celtics management? I mean, the Celtics Celtic has been. I mean, to my face, Celtics has been told me that they are supportive. You know, they support me, and whenever I talk about an issue, so like whenever I, whenever whenever I was talking about the Tibet, right, they were telling me yes, Tibet should be free, or whenever I talk about uh, Uyghurs, and they came and told me that yes, there's a genocide happening, right. So to my face, they are supportive, but obviously, I don't really expect them to put any kind of like a statement out there. So. You don't get sort of emails every time you pop up on the media talking about China and not Beijing. You don't get not anymore. Not anymore. But you did. Oh, I'm, listen! I talk about Turkey for ten years. I did not get one phone call. I talk about China one day. My phone was ringing once every two hours. You know, people from MBPA, VA, people from you know my agents, management team. Uh, they would just keep calling, and I was like, listen. And and saying what? Telling you to stop? Um, NBA, MBPA, yes, and the Player Association. I think that was like the one that really like made me sad because they're supposed mm-hmm. to work for the players. And whenever I answered them, they're like, "Listen, you know the, the decision coming from NBA, NBA telling us and pressuring us to tell you to stop." And and are they still telling you to stop, or have they uh, not have they stopped that? Not anymore. Because when I talked to Adam, right. When I talked to Adam, I was like, Adam, I don't want to talk to anybody about you from now. Hmm. And I told I told my manager to tell the player association, do not call me, text me, do not contact me ever again because I mean, you guys are not doing your job. I want to talk about the, you know, the the U.S. has a really proud history of athletes standing up for human rights. You know, there was Muhammad Ali very famously refusing to serve in the Vietnam War. There was Tommy Smith and John Carlos raising the fist and protesting against African-American poverty in the 1968 Olympics. And then, of course, Colin Kaepernick taking a knee in 2016 against police brutality. And so do you think athletes have a responsibility to take a stand on issues? Um, you know, what do you say to the people who say that athletes, you guys should all just stick to sports? First of all, I mean, of course, the, the, the reason, you know, athletes should speak out more about any, any kind of issues out there, because like I said, again, there are so many kids out there, right? Now, because of the social media, this and that, you know, they're idolizing, they're following everything you, you're doing on a daily uh, basis. So I feel like, yes, we need to talk about all the stuff happening uh, uh, around the world, not just in America, but uh, uh, around the world. And the other thing is, you know, when people tell me that, listen, man, focus on basketball, stop doing politics. I never do politics. There's a difference between politics and human rights. You know, mm. I never go out there and say, hey, everyone, we should vote for Republicans. We should vote for Democrats. We should pick this president. That No, I never talk about any of this stuff. Whenever I, talk, whenever I go out there, you, you can read all my op-eds, interviews, everything. I always talk about human rights. I always talk about to be the voice of innocent people, not just in Turkey or China, but all around. So I think it is important for athletes to use their, use their uh, platform. When it comes to China, are athletes pawns in all of this? Is America 
playing a kind of game where, you know, they have athletes and people such as yourselves can play the freedom loving American and get all the attention in the media. But the bottom dollar line is that American business and governments continue to engage with authoritarian regimes like in Beijing. Mm -hmm. That's very unfortunate. You know, I feel like it all starts with, I don't want to go too deep, but it all starts with, you know, Wall Street. It all starts with, you know, the Congress, local Congress and Hollywood, and I can go on and on. But I feel like, you know, when you see America, it is, you know, when I was growing up, I see always America that represents democracy and freedom and human rights. But unfortunately, you know, I feel like when it comes to authoritarian regimes, sometimes their state remains uh, silent, like Turkey, right? I remember this actually, not many people uh, knows about this, but I was actually having a lunch in a Senate with one of the really, really big uh, senators, and he was a, a Democrat too. And I asked him, I was like, listen, do you think President Biden knows my story? And the senator said, absolutely. And I asked him, like, then I have been trying to, you know, I had a conversation with him since the day he took the office. You know, why is he not accepting our uh, invitation? And he's like, listen, I understand the all, he knows all the human rights violations and political prisoners in Turkey, but Turkey is still a NATO ally. And obviously there, America doesn't want to go war with uh, Turkey. And him meeting with the president, meeting with you is pretty much a screw you to President Erdogan. So that's why he is pretty much are scared to have a conversation with you. So I, I was shocked. I was like, so you're telling me the most, I guess, powerful, powerful person in the world and most powerful house in the world are scared to meet with a 29-year-old NBA player. And he's like, unfortunately. So, but I, so you have directly reached out to the White House and they have not responded oh, to course, you? Of course, of course. Do you really think that you know, my family back in Turkey, my, you know, I haven't seen my mom and my dad and my sister since 2015. Do you think I, I wasn't going to try the White House and have a conversation with the officials and the White House and, and whoever? You know, not, haven't heard anything. And I know that they got our invitation because I, I, I have so many politician friends. And uh, unfortunately, it's just, I guess it's politics. And, but I feel like they, they should definitely more focus on the human rights uh, part. What about President Obama? Have you ever reached out to him? I reached out to his people. I definitely I reached out to his people. I reached out to you know the Joe Biden's people. Nothing. You you have to let us know if you uh, if you hear back from them. For sure. No, I, I, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Can I ask you about? Peng Shuai, mm -hmm. uh, the, the female Chinese tennis star, she's mm -hmm. posted on social media a few months ago that she had been assaulted by a senior Chinese official. And then there was this very uh, disturbing situation where she wasn't seen for a few weeks after that post. And then a series of, of uh, seemingly very orchestrated public appearances she made didn't persuade a lot of people that she was safe and free in her movements. And the WTA, the, the Women's Tennis Association, their, their chief executive, Steve Simon, he has been repeatedly, repeatedly calling for international investigations into her whereabouts and her well-being. And he even went as far as cancelling all WTA tennis tournaments in the country as a result. Do you approve of how he handled this particular battle with the Chinese government? Uh, first, first thing about her, you know, while I mean, while we know that she is alive, we don't know if she is free, you know, free to 
speak, for you to travel, and everything I believe is staged by the Chinese government to keep her under control and uh, control the uh, narrative about her. I think this is the uh, this is a very tom- a common tactic that used by the you know, Chinese government because it is alarming that the International Olympic Committee is part of it too. When WTA came out and made a statement like that, I was like, "Why? How come the other associations out there can take notes and see what they're doing? You know, they could have lose hundreds of millions of uh, uh, dollars, and they might, you know, but they still said we don't care about any of that stuff. We care about our uh, player. So, <clears throat> I think, I think, and whenever I had a conversation with an Olympic athlete." They're about to go to China, right? I am telling them, like, listen, look what they did to their own player. Are we really mm. all the governments out there? Are we really going to trust them with our own player? And especially, there is an article came out in U. Uh, I think it was on USA uh, Today and said the we are in, uh, we are telling everyone. I think the American government was telling everyone to not bring their first cell phone because China can tap into that. So I'm like, right, that was exactly that was T- I think Team USA. They shared yes, guidance for yes. their athletes: do not take your <clears throat> personal cell phones or laptops to the Beijing Olympics because of the concerns they have mm-hmm. about cyber surveillance. I mean, what do you think about the fact that the US is still sending its athletes to Beijing for the Olympics? It, it, it's a shame. I understand diplomatic boycott. It is good, but it is not enough. You know, because oh. like the Communist Party does not represent. The Olympic core of uh, values of excellence, of you know, I even said this before, you know, of respect, of friendship, and they are a brutal dictatorship, and they engage in censorship and they threaten human rights. They don't, they don't respect human rights. They threaten uh, freedoms, and uh, the preservation I, of human dignities is on the Olympic Charter. While we are talking right now, there's a genocide happening. I mean, I understand. I I seen that. Um, Biden administration put a statement out there and said, you know, all the athletes work so hard in their life to get to this point, so we are not going to tell them not to go. But like, all, all to all the athletes out there, you know, all the gold medals you can win in the world is not more important than your morals, your values, and your uh, principles. And I think I said this before: the International Olympic Committee is slipping in the same bed with uh, China. It's a shame that they're organizing an Olympic Games in a country where there's a, a genocide happening. But I hope that you know they can do, you know, the diplomatic boycott after U.S., you know, U.K., Canada, some other Australia, some other countries uh, did that. But I don't. I feel like it is not enough. I feel like athletes needs to you know go out there and say you know what enough is enough, and someone needs to stand up to those to this country. Does money trump everything in the world of sport? I think, yeah, I think like, you know, they, all they care about is money and they will stand up for the things. But as soon as, if the things that they stand up is is affecting their pocket, their business and their money, they are going to stay silent. And that is the one thing that I cannot stand. And would you say that sport is is more of a business now? I mean, we started this interview. You said that mm-hmm. you grew up as a boy. You had dreams of being a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Would you 
if you were to go back in time and, and talk to that little boy, what would you say to him? Would you say sport is is not as beautiful as you might think, that it's really all about the big business? You know, I would, I would to that little boy, I would still say, you know, keep chasing your dreams and never give up because this platform is given you by God and still use it to do the God's work. But understand, at the end, it's a business. You know, no one... If, I mean, you cannot go against the system. Once you go against the system, they're going to do everything they can to shut you off and uh, shut you down. And um, there's not many people out there in any kind of association that has when trying to go against the system. One of them is Kaepernick did it, and they pretty much blackballed him, and he's not in the league anymore, you know? But uh, I think this, it is important for athletes to stand up for what they believe in. I, I just want to um, I, I just want to ask you, lastly, some personal questions about how your activism has impacted you. I mean, you've had multiple arrest warrants from the Erdogan regime in Turkey. I think you posted the latest one on uh, on social media. Uh, they've searched your house. They've intimidated your yeah. family. You know, have you ever worried about your own safety? I mean, what are you doing to, to stay safe? And is the NBA helping you with that? Is anyone helping you and giving you advice and providing you with any assistance? You know, it did affect me a lot. I mean, last time I saw my family was back in 2015, and they revoked my passport, put my name on Interpol, was actually. And I have 10 arrests warning for me in less than four years. Um, I, you know, I think not NBA, but America, yes, did does help me a lot. I remember I was, you know, getting so much death threats. And we sit down with FBI and had a conversation with them. And, uh, when was this? Uh, this was uh, around two years ago when I was mm -hmm. playing for uh, Portland uh, Trailblazers. I remember I was having a conversation with uh, FBI and they were very concerned. Uh, first, they told me to take a screenshot of all, all the death threats and send it to us. But it got to a point there was so many of them, I, I, I stopped uh, doing it. The second thing is when I was in a road game playing against uh, one of the teams, I was staying in a hotel room because they said the house or apartment is not safe. So you have to stay in a hotel room. So it was just, it's, it's more uh, secure. So when I was in a road game, actually FBI came to my hotel room and they set up this thing called panic button. They said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, push that button. We'll be there in two, three minutes. Um, I remember the button was on my, right next to my bed and in my uh, living room in a, in a hotel. But, you know, other than that, I, I feel, I do feel safe in America, but anywhere else, it will be very, it could get very ugly because obviously Android has arms everywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, are, the, are the death threats continuing? Are you still... Oh yeah. To the FBI. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I've, after a point, it's like, I understand it's gonna sound very crazy, but it just becomes like a normal DM, you know, because you don't even take him serious because you get used to the, the people sending you death threats. You know, I it just it's a, it sounds very like crazy, but you know, after a point, I'm like, I don't even take him uh, serious anymore because you cannot live your uh, life like that. But, but, but do you have do you have any security like are your team monitoring these yes. yeah I mean okay. I remember I mean everywhere we go we have a, a security because and especially with the, the Celtics we have like a three a team security is pretty much traveling with us everywhere we go and whenever I'm in Boston I don't really leave my house a lot 
you know. And everywhere I go, I have to let my either manager or agent know that uh, where I'm going. But other than that, you know, I mean, that's the thing that if you are setting up against the dictatorships around the world, that's the risk that you're uh, taking. Uh, what's the, have you had any scary, I mean, I think that's a pretty scary moment, the FBI coming and, and sorting out a panic button. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty terrifying, I think. But have you had any, any sort of, you know, has anyone actually tried to do anything? Have you had any scary moments at all? Back in 2017, when I was in Indonesia, they actually did try to kidnap me, but we got the word early and actually we escaped the country. And then we landed in uh, Romania, and that's where they revoked my passport. And uh, I took a video of it, so it's on the internet, and everybody can see it. And they, you know, pretty much the police, one of the police were a basketball fan, and he said, you have two hours to leave this country, or they're going to deport you back to uh, Turkey and stuff. So, like, yes, we do have some, like, really scary moments, but not in America. I remember in Jakarta, we landed, and then we, I said, you uh, Jakarta. So I remember we landed. And um, we had a basketball camp. And that night, I remember we had a phone call at like 2.30 a.m. And my manager was uh, staying right uh, next to me. And, he's, and he told me that uh, there's some people came to a school that you just, you just have basketball clinic with, right? And I, was, I asked him, like, who's those people? He said he has uh, no idea. And I remember he said, because we heard about the Erdogan's operation in other uh, countries like Malaysia, Bosnia, uh, uh, Albania. And he said, this could be uh, dangerous and we just need to leave the uh, country. And uh, I remember, you know, we left the country around 5.30 a.m. to uh, Singapore. When we landed mm. in Singapore, we called the, our local guy, uh, local guy and asked him, like, who are those people? And he said, you guys are very uh, lucky to left because those were police. And I think he said like intelligence service or something. I'm, I'm not sure who he said to take you guys away. And uh, because this happened actually a uh, hundred times around the world where Erdogan worked with the countries, uh, like, I, uh, like I said, and kidnapped people and sent them back to Turkey and they become a political uh, prisoner. So like uh, we got the word early, we get out of the country and... Um, I mean, that just shows one more time what kind of person he is. God, that's uh, yep. that's terrifying. So I, I take it you'll never go back to Indonesia. In that no, I, I, no it's, it was a beautiful country. It was it was a beautiful country. Don't don't get me wrong. I love the people over there. They were so warm and uh, mm -hmm. nice people. The food was amazing, actually. But we only stayed there for like one day. There's actually some Turkish schools uh, over there. So I went there to just visit them and do a basketball uh, clinic with them. Um, but we had to, I actually have all the uh, like videos when we were like about to leave and we were like escaping when we were at the airport. It's crazy. And do you, I mean, you back, back then you weren't a US citizen, but you are now. Do you feel any more protected? No. Um, in a way, yeah. I mean, I am. I have now. I have an, an American passport. I'm a U.S. Uh, citizen, and now, obviously, just because of the platform I have, I don't. That is the reason that the Turkish government are scared to touch my dad or my mom and put them in jail because my dad was in uh, jail for a while. But we put so much pressure, and every time, you know, my my dad goes to a court or they put him in jail, it becomes an international uh, news. So they are scared to uh, touch him. I do feel. Uh, 
a little comfortable, but there's my name is still still on Interpol, mm. so we have to solve that problem. How, uh, I mean, can your family leave Turkey? Do you think you can see them again? Can they come to the U.S.? Uh, I mean, I hope so. That's the goal. And I hope maybe one day I can go back there because mm. that's the goal, you know. You know, whenever I talk about Turkey, people, sometimes people get me wrong. I love my country. I love my flag. I love my people. And Turkey could have been the bridge of Islam and West. But just because of all this stuff happening, it's impossible. But um, I hope, you know, they can get out of Turkey one day and come to America. I really hope that for you, Enes. It's been an absolute privilege uh, to talk to you. I, I'm, I'm really moved. I'm really moved by your activism, and I, I just wish you weren't such a lonely voice. I think your, mm-hmm. your, uh, I, I think your, your courage is is an example to all of us. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for, for your time uh, to speak with us today. For sure. And I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you so much for inviting me. That's it for this episode of One Decision. I'm Julia McFarlane. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and get in touch. What decisions have impacted your lives and your part of the world? We would love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter. Our handle is at One Decision Pod and we're on Facebook at One Decision Podcast. See you next time.